0: Remain standing for the reading, the hearing, the blessing of God's holy word, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, I have some object lessons today. Keys. Your keys. (laughs) These have been in the lost and found for I don't know how long. I have have a key to a Honda. I have a key to a Ford. I have keys to two homes and a BMW. So, (laughs) if you add a zero to your pledge, you may have them back. If you add two zeros, I will wash it and detail it once per week for a month, okay? I also have my keys, this little ball of alloy. Jingles, when we hold them and carry them, they have little teeth on them, and when we sit, those teeth bite into our thighs. These these items here, they're kind of a universal language in the world, really go anywhere for any period of time and keys, even in a digital era of swipe cards and passcodes, keys are recognized as authority, as transport, responsibility, protection, safety. Keys and locks don't work and are kind of superfluous without one another, pointless. How many of you have a drawer full or a hula hoop ring size of keys that you have absolutely no idea what they go to? Anyone? Oh, yeah, it becomes artwork at that point, doesn't it? Yeah. Clanking sound of keys, it's unmistakable. Keys really are one of the world's earliest passwords, if you think about it. Every tooth is, is a combination that unlocks a, like a gear. I can go on and on about keys, the psychology of them, the misplacement of them, the collection of them. But I think the most important things about keys are the freedom that they offer. On my ring, I have a key to a gate, a key to a house, a key to my office, key to the church, My most important key, though, is this one that's wrapped in such beautiful plastic. It doesn't have one button. It has four buttons on it. It's my car key. Freedom to everything is provided by this one key. How many of you remember receiving your very first set of car keys? Remember that? You started saying, freedom! And I don't know if you were like me when I was driving, but, wow, we burn up a lot of dollar and ten cent gasoline on Vaughn Road and the Atlanta Highway, didn't we? Freedom! Freedom. Oh, man. It was so much fun to stall out at a traffic light and have friends laugh at us. You remember those days? And a car behind us honking at us like that's going to make the ignition automatically turn over or something. Wow. Freedom. With a single key, the turn of a wrist, it'll change one's life forever. Our parents wondered if we were ready for such freedom. As a parent, I lobbied uh, downtown at the State House for the age to be bumped up to 40, and they just didn't listen to me. When the roll flipped and we handed our children their very first set of keys, somehow... I found myself bonding with my parents in ways I had not anticipated, like all the ancestors of old were speaking into my soul. You've heard of, of PTA, like at schools, back to school, the PTA, the parent teacher. Well, there should be a PTDA, Parents of Teenage Drivers Anonymous, for parents who recently you know, gave a child a car key and they need a support group. I'm all for that. Car keys are Freedom. We give away that freedom on the front end, and sometimes on the the back end of life, we have to take away that same freedom from those who gave us our freedom to drive at an early age. That's sobering too. Surreal, as I have observed. Giving and receiving keys, what the Bible might call binding and, and loosing, becomes a matter of trust of responsibility, of safety, of freedom. Well, obviously, I've been thinking a lot about keys this week, freedom that comes with them, how easy it is to misplace them, to keep up with them. And Jesus, Jesus asks, his, his, asks his disciples a question that's like a padlock in need of a key. Who do people... Say that I am. Well, you know, they say you're a prophet based on some of the things you've been saying. Some say you're John. That's a mistake in identity. Jesus kind of says, um, fellas, you're, you're using the wrong keys. So he gets more pointed. He gets, gets more real. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? You all, y'all. You band of disciples who have spent so much time with me. Who do you say that I am personalizing it? Peter steps up. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if there ever has been a universal key to begin the steps of unlocking the mysteries of God, it's that statement. It's not only that belief, and that moment of confession and declaration. It's that moment of giving one's life to that statement. But I've also wondered all week long, where did Peter come up with that? I mean, if we look at Peter's track record, we would even say that I don't know if he has as much maturity as a a 16-year-old to make such a claim with certainty, much less to inherit this set of kingdom keys. Constantly impulsive, misses the point, spoils a perfectly good theophany moment by wanting to start a building campaign. Remember that at the Mountain of Transfiguration? Let's go straight to building three houses up here, Lord. Peter was always trying to be the teacher's pet, raise his hand in class even when the answers were wrong. So impetuous, even to the point that that Jesus calls him Satan. Satan. Peter had set his things too highly on the ways of the world and the kingdoms of the world rather than the kingdom of God. Peter was often first to try to use the wrong keys. Get behind me, Jesus says. Not out in front with keys to dad's house. <laughs> so this confessional moment is a turning point. But from where did it come and why did Jesus entrust such a spiritual babe with his keys. Peter didn't even have a learner's permit to speak of. Peter's authority and the freedom that, that Christ gave him to launch and to, to lead the church are not based on Peter's Righteousness, his theological training, because there was none. Peter didn't have a, a very good prayer life. He, he probably would not have been fr- the very first to sign up for, for the fall Bible studies, but you should by clicking on the QR code or dropping it in the offering plate. Peter might not have made it through candidacy to even become a, a local pastor. So from where does this basis for getting the keys to the kingdom come? And why did Peter get a promotion? Well, all the other disciples saw Jesus through the lens of what others were saying about Jesus, which is an answer to his question, to be clear. I think it would be like Jesus saying to us, who do people say that I am? And we immediately go to the commentaries, you know. Well, Calvin talks about predestination. Luther talks about justification and consubstantiation. And, you know, Wesley, John Wesley, talks about all the graces and sanctification and holiness of heart and life. And you've got Bard and, and Tillich, and Jesus would say, hold up wrong keys all great i can read those myself fellows who do you say that i am peter he tries his key he turns it you are messiah son of the living god keep trying all you want to figure out who Jesus is, none of those keys will fit until we have an honesty about Jesus being the Lord of our lives the Lord of the church, the top priority in every aspect of what we do. And if we try to trek through life with a ring of keys, otherwise none of those will ever work. Peter gets it right. You are Messiah, son of the living God. Keep trying to make all these other idols into Messiah, but those things will never redeem us. They'll never love us back. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. The one confessional statement that unlocks everything else about this crazy, beautiful life and world. To which I imagine Jesus went, oh, finally, the brother said something with which I can work. <laughs> Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. From now on, you're going to be called Peter, Cephas, Petros, which means pebble or, or, or rock and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, your confession and your life will change the world, but we will not wait on Hades to come to us. We're going to take the the offensive of love and grace to this world and to the underworld with this set of keys, and we're going to use the teeth on this set of keys to bite into evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Here are the keys to those gates. Game on, Peter. And don't forget that the keys you use to, to unlock heaven will unlock you in the process. Now, pivotal moment. Some say from this moment in northern Israel, Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem and the cross. The journey has begun. I can only imagine as words started spreading, knowing what we know about our human condition, that people would have gone straight to social media at that point, trying to say, well, who is this Peter person? What are his indiscretions? Poking holes in his decision, dragging his friends and family, saying, well, I see all of his people here, With which parties does he identify? See, that's him, the one standing by the charcoal fire with with the cloak over his head, warming himself. You can clearly see him on camera denying Jesus. Told you he wasn't cut out for this. What in the world was Jesus thinking, giving Peter the keys to the... We knew he was going to lose them. But I wonder... I wonder if Jesus knew that a sinner saved by grace is far more effective, is far more transformative for growing God's kingdom than one who claims to have it all figured out all the time. One sinner saved by grace and honest enough to admit that that he or she is no longer Lord of his or her life, that's called a new driver with a new set of keys. Peter, you know, he knew about falling trapped to being overly certain, to being flawed, to to not having all the answers, to having all the answers, to disappointing Jesus time and again. He knew about binding and, and loosing, squeezing and letting go, using the wrong keys, making the wrong things into little and fleeting messiahs. Peter knew the challenges of living in this world while also belonging to another, he knew life's tension. And yet Jesus still said, you're the one that I choose. I think in giving his life to Jesus and being given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Peter began a process of discovering what needs to be bound and and what needs to be loosed in this world. I think he started a process. He didn't always get it right. I think he started a process of of binding himself to grace and to forgiveness and to love and redemption and kindness and then loosing himself from the chains of bitterness and fear and anger, resentment and kindness, shame and, and guilt. And I just wonder, to what do we bind ourselves and from what do we loose ourselves for the cause of Jesus Christ in this world? to what are you binding yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ? And from what are you loosing yourself from the ways that hold you back from being who God is calling you to be? Peter becomes a super disciple by basically saying, what I have observed in my time with you, Jesus, is that (laughs) you have the pathway you have the pathway to redemption and forgiveness and to God, to which I will bind myself while loosing myself to these entrapments of guilt and shame. From that moment, there's an extreme makeover, heaven edition. (laughs) Jesus said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, and you will be called, moving forward, Cephas or Peter, he calls him by his name, his family name, his boyhood name, the name of the son of his father, both things that Peter did not choose, and then he said, but you're going to be something else. Did you catch that? You you are your past, you are your family, and you will become something more. There's a W.C. Fields quote that says, it's not what they call you, it's, it's what you answer to. You heard that? Sounds a little like grace, redemption, and hope, doesn't it? There are times in life where we might want to escape our past and even our our family name associated with it, but we are who we are. We've done what we've done. and, And the tragedy of humanity for those who who declare Christ as Messiah and Lord, is this feeling of being stuck or suppressed by past pain points or by external expectations placed on us. But the good news today is whomever our past tries to tell us we are, whatever external forces are trying to keep us maintained as something we're not called to be, Jesus says, you are who you are, but I have something more for you. I have a pathway to freedom. And I want you to have some keys. help others find their way. I think even though Caesarea is this pivotal moment in Jesus's ministry and for Peter, I think it's important to know that Peter's transformation, just like yours and just like mine, it wasn't immediate, right? You make a declaration, we profess our creed on uh, the, the Trinity every single week. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in We don't always feel like this immediate transformation is is happening, do we? Maybe. It can. I think we have sequences of converting moments, and Peter certainly understood that, because he would go on to say things like, Lord, you're not washing my feet. (laughs) Okay, well, Mr. Rock, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter says, all right, well, just bring out the pressure washer then and make sure you get everything, you know. He has impulsive moments like that. He has other moments where he's he's going to deny Jesus at Jesus' greatest time of, of need when he's on trial. You are Simon, but I will make you into a rock. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to that matters. I think Jesus saw Peter like he sees every single one of us, like he sees this beautiful body. I mean, I'm looking out at so many... Faces and, and colors today. It's like a kaleidoscope. I think Jesus sees us as who we are and says, but just you wait. Just you wait and see what I have in store for you. Peter was known by God and he was loved by both as Simon and as Peter. I need that word today. I I think we all do. Who we were, who we are, who Jesus said we'll be are all precious in God's sight. All three are redeemable by grace. All three may be entrusted with a new set of keys to unlock all that binds us, guilt and shame and, and even endless possibilities that God has in store for us. That's true of your life. It remains true for the church. When we confess, all other labels... All other designations aside, when we confess that we believe Jesus Christ is Messiah, the Son of the living God, when we make that declaration and we align everything else we do with that declaration, we assume the responsibility that comes with it, no doubt. We're not always going to get things right. We will fall. We will hurt others. We will be hurt by others. But we possess the keys to redemption despite all of our warts and wounds and all that we carry and cause. That has to be good news. In our minds, are we willing to believe and to declare and to adjust our lives to this Messiah who did things like, if you're going to make that statement, if you really will follow me, then I have some margins of all of life's highways that I'm going to need you to, to go with me There and all the people that have been pushed there, that's where we're going to start. If we make that bold declaration about Jesus and are interested in following Messiah, we have to be interested and care deeply about the poor and get serious about hunger and homelessness, and we have to to eat with sinners and with saints. We have to see that Jesus took on the political establishment, the religious establishment of his day... And he reinterpreted all of those laws and summed them up into something very cruciform, love God and love people. Hmm. Do we have the audacity to believe that the Messiah would go to Jerusalem and die for the sins of the world? Are we willing to declare with our hands and our feet and our voices that which we believe? internally. Because if not, we might be practicing what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Costly grace means that what we declare on Sundays we convey to the world in the mission field of life between Sundays. James, the half-brother of Jesus, even says that belief is not enough. Even the demons believe it's not enough. Faith without what, church? Works is dead. Yeah. Christian faith is not always about coming up with the right answer, which Peter did. It's the Christian faith is about faith thing, living out what we believe by caring for people. Click. It's about a willingness to die to ourselves so that others might find life. Click. It's about pouring ourselves out to be truly filled up. Click. It's about dying to self, to rise in new life to Christ. It's about bending the knee to rise anew. It's about binding ourselves to obedience in order to find new freedom. Click. I guess what all this means is that God sees all that we have been, everything we're going through, and knows all the fear about the futures and uncertainties, yet God chooses grace every single time. God chooses to say, I choose you just as you are the entire package. As individuals, as families, even as a church, especially as a church. God says, I am not giving up on you. Do not give up on yourself. Do not give up on one another. Here are the keys. It Sounds like freedom to begin moving forward under the Messiah and the Lordship of Jesus Christ alone. So go unlock some things this week. There's only one key that fits, though. Amen.